Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Last, uh, let's say, Mother's Day, we talked about a moment with Mary, and I felt it necessary to give Joseph equal time. So we're talking about a moment with Joseph. We don't want to leave him out. Amen. But before we even get there, let me just share with you an experience that I had when I was at Bible school. I was in uh, the auditorium and the teacher was teaching about the love of God, about him being a loving Heavenly Father. He was talking about love and agape love and divine love and how it operates and how it works. And I had one of those moments. Did you ever have a moment with God where it's hard to explain spiritual things? Like I've seen my angel. I thank God for that. There's been, I've, I've seen a demon and we won't get all that. It's, I'm talking about a spiritual supernatural moment that I had as I was sitting there in my chair when all of a sudden as he was talking about a scripture verse John 16 verse 27 and said for the father himself loveth you because you have loved me and believe I came out from God but what happened was as I was sitting there was as if I was suspended my senses were suspended the verse was highlighted from the Bible as I saw it I heard him in the background teaching but I wasn't part of that teaching. I just sat there and all of a sudden this thing hit me as I was suspended in that place. That verse came out to me and I heard like within a loud voice saying, for the father himself loves you. And I took it so personal. For the father himself loves you to me. And I'll tell you what, it was the most amazing experience in my life. I could never deny the fact that I know that the father loves me. God so loved the world but I could say also that he loves me. John 16, 27. He loves me. Why? Because I love Jesus and believe he came out from the Father. Now, if coming from a Jewish perspective, you knew that you were going to leave this realm and you had to have someone to be a guardian for your child. What would you say to a person that said, who should I choose? What characteristics should I look for in this person? From a Jewish perspective, you could say it this way. Well, maybe look at, say, someone who might be a rabbi or a priest so that he can teach him the law, commandments and ordinances of God. Or also, let's say, someone that's well off because you want your child to be cared for in such a way so that all his needs are met. Could be somebody who's influential and respected in the community among all the leaders and all that. And possibly maybe someone who is able to know a little bit about rearing children since this is your child and you're, not, you're going to be leaving. And you want to make certain that that child is cared for. Well, if let's say God asked me that advice, I gave him my advice. You think he took it? No, once again, he didn't take it. Because you see, he chose a man named Joseph. Joseph was not a rabbi. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't well off. He was a carpenter who was poor. He certainly wasn't influential uh, in the community. And also, uh, we don't know how much he knew about rearing children. 
So once again, his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. We might think we're doing it the right way, but he says, no, that's not what I'm looking for. I see something else. So the question is, why Joseph? Well, in Matthew's gospel, and remember this, we have very little about Joseph in his life. Very little. But yet he chose him to be the stepfather of his son when he sent him to the earth. Because here he is, God himself, sending his son in a human body to the earth, born of a virgin. And someone's going to have to father that child to be an example and a role model to him on the earth. And his name is Joseph. And he has no, none of those qualifications that I just met, mentioned. Okay, so look at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. And this is from the ESV version of the Bible, English Standard Version. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, what's her, what is he? Her husband, Joseph, being a just or righteous man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Stop right there. Okay. The very first quality or characteristic that we see that Joseph had, he was a just man or the Greek righteous man, which means he had high standards that he lived by. He was fair. He wanted to do the right thing. And so these are the qualifications that he had. He had a high regard for the laws of God, the commandments of God, and also for his own reputation among the community. Those are some of the character traits that he sees in Joseph, a righteous man, a man wanting to do the right thing. Well, he was unwilling, let's say, to publicly humiliate uh, Mary. And here's what we have to know about that. Because this is something that is written here for us to understand about the qualities and characteristics of this man's life. You have to understand marriage back then and also being espoused or being betrothed to somebody back then. It's not like today where you're engaged and you say, this is my fiance. Notice she did, the scripture didn't say, this is my fiance or her fiance. It said her husband. Because you see, back then, if you were betrothed to someone, you were actually married to them, but you didn't consummate the relationship. You were married because you took your vows. You were married. Uh, you made your statements to one another that you vowed your lives to one another already, and that was already done. You also had a dowry that was already paid, and that took place. And now Joseph went back to what was tradition back then to get ready for the ceremony, which would just would have been the people coming together, having what we would call like a reception, and they would consummate the, the marriage relationship. Well, put yourself in his shoes. Here he is getting ready. Now to get ready, here's what he had to do. He had to go to father's house, and in his father's house, what he would do is prepare for his bride. Probably, some cases, add a room on at the house, or somehow remodel it or do something. Whatever he had to do, sometimes it took up into a year to get ready for his bride to be brought to father's house. Now, think about this language and think about the rapture of the church. We're the bride of Christ, a part of the bride of Christ, right? And Jesus said, I'm going to my father's house to do what? In his house are many what? D mansions or dwelling places. I'm going to do what? Prepare a place for you. So you see, the, son, the, the husband would go to father's house and prepare a place for his bride. And then at some time, when she doesn't know about, so she's always going to be ready, he would then bring probably the bridal party with him and they would 
make the way to the bride's house, and they would sound the trumpets along the way, along the path. And of course, she would hear all this and have some time, because they're still at a distance, to make ready because her husband is coming to get her and take her to father's house. Isn't that what we're waiting for right now? The trumpet to sound to take us all to the father's house to be with them. The family reunion in the sky. So there's an example of, let's say, that marriage ceremony, the rapture of the church and how we're going to be brought back to be with him. Well, everything was going well. It was wonderful. And Joseph was on a high until he found out that Mary was pregnant. And all of a sudden, oh no, what am I going to do now? She's pregnant. Well, being a just man, a righteous man, a man who had high standards for himself and for everybody, he made a decision. I'm going to put her away privately. In such a way so that she wouldn't, once again, be brought to public shame and and all that. So he was going to put her away privately because that was his characteristic. Okay. Now, according to the law, this is what could have happened to Mary. And here's something that we don't see in our society because of our Western culture. We don't understand it. And to be quite frank about it, I don't think enough young people here these truths from God's word. He was concerned about the laws of God, the commandments of God, with regard to every aspect of his life, including the moral laws of God. Okay? And so what he decided to do was to see to it that she would be divorced, but at worst, what could have happened to her, she could have been stoned to death. Look in Deuteronomy Chapter 20. I was going to give you a verse, but I want us to read all these verses together because, once again, they reveal to us God's moral laws with regard to sexuality. Let's read them. Suppose a man marries a woman, but after sleeping with her, he turns against her and publicly accuses her of shameful conduct, saying, When I married this woman, I discovered she was not a virgin. Then the woman's father and mother must bring the proof of her virginity to the elders as they hold court at the town gate. Her father must say to them, I have my daughter. I gave my daughter to this man to be his wife. And now he has turned against her. He has accused her of shameful conduct, saying, I discovered that your daughter was not a virgin. But here is the proof of my daughter's virginity. Stop right there. What a practice. Are you kidding me? What's the proof? Well, let's read a little bit further. Then they must spread her bed sheet before the elders. The elders must then take the man and punish him. They must also find him a hundred pieces of silver, which he must pay to the woman's father because he publicly accused the virgin of Israel of shameful conduct. The woman will then remain the man's wife. And notice this, he may never divorce her. But suppose the man's accusations are true and he can show that he was not a virgin. She was not a virgin. The woman must be taken to the door of her father's home. And there the men of the town must stone her to death 
for she's committed a disgraceful crime in Israel by being promiscuous while living in her parents with her parents or living in her parents house or home in this way you will purge this evil from among you if a man is discovered committing adultery both he and the woman must die in this way you will purge Israel of such evil suppose a man meets a young woman a virgin who is engaged to be married and he has sexual intercourse with her if this happens within a town you must take both of them to the gates of that town and stone them to death the woman is guilty because she did not scream for help the man must die because he violated another man's wife in this way you will purge this evil from among you but if the man meets the engaged woman out in the country and he rapes her then only the man must die do nothing to the young woman she has committed no crime worthy of death she is as innocent as a murder victim since the man raped her out in the country it must be assumed that she screamed but there was no one to rescue her why don't our young people read these things and hear these things today God's view of sexual immorality is far different than what people see in the world today God's standards are much higher than what we see in the world today. Can you say amen to that? So at worst, Mary would have been brought before the elders and stoned to death. At worst. At least she would have been shunned by the people of the community. And what that means is she would have been to live with her, her in her parents' home. And all she, she can't marry Joseph. She can't marry her lover. All she can do is live in that home and to get, a, say, employment for her. She had probably, you can do a study for yourself, two choices. She would have to be someone who lives in that, let's say, works with someone like who's wealthy as a maid and take care of that house while she's living with her, her family or become a prostitute. That was her means of employment. That, those two. So you can see back then it's a whole lot different than our society today. And this is what she was facing. And he knew that. So how does he honor the law and still and honor God and still do what he could to protect her? How, how would he negotiate that? What, what, what could he do? So he made a decision. He came to a conclusion. And this is what he said. This is what I'm going to do. Well, as a righteous man... He wanted to do was right inside of God and inside of man. Secondly, he's a humble man. Because you see, after he made this decision to do it this way, that's when God appeared to him in a dream. And that's when he was given instruction. Let's read it in Matthew's gospel. So he was righteous, wanting to do it the right way to please God. But also he was a humble man. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Now, if he did this without this, he would have probably tarnished his own reputation among the people. Because you see, once again, she was not marriageable, either for him or her lover. And he knew that. And so... The angel says, don't be afraid to take her as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus, just as he was instructed. So here we have a situation where Joseph has an action plan. He knows what he's going to do, but that plan is interrupted as he has this dream and God gives him some insight and understanding as to what he should do in the situation. And of course, because he's a humble man wanting to do it God's way and not his way, he makes a decision, even though it may look bad in the community, it may look bad to all these other people, the elders and so on and so forth. He's going to do it. Now remember, Mary, what about her? She's a young girl who's pregnant, and you think people are going to say, well, it was the Holy Ghost? So she's facing the situation that she's in, and now for him, he's got to face the same situation, but only from a different perspective. He's a righteous man, he's a humble man, he makes a decision that I'm going to do it God's way, no matter what it looks like to people in the community, no matter what they think of what's going on, He's the only one that knows that he was not the father of the child. He knows that. But he's in a difficult situation. And think about what he had to go through just to fulfill the purpose of God for his life. Think about it. He ends up having to leave to go to flee to Egypt. All the things he had to do, you could lay it out one at a time that he had to go through in order just to fulfill the purpose of God. And he humbled himself to do it God's way, not his own way. So he's a man of righteousness. He's a man of humility. And he bows before God and says, you know what? Not my will be done. Your will be done. He served the purposes of God, number one. But then also he sacrificed his own life to, to do what? To meet the needs of Mary and also of Jesus. And he did that. Now, thirdly, he was a pious man. Look in the book of Luke, Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. And these are from the New Living Translations of the Bible. Eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, you, see, you, just, you might just read over that, but what does that mean, he was circumcised? That means that Joseph was committed to God. And Joseph knew the command of God. He made certain that he obeyed the laws of God to have him circumcised. So he was devout in the things of God. Maybe he wasn't a priest, maybe he wasn't a rabbi, but he was devout when it came to the things of God. And so he brought him to be circumcised. His name, he, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel even before he was conceived. Then it was time for the purification. Well, let's, let's stop there just for a moment because that just popped into my head. The name that was given him was Jesus even before he was conceived. We may not have any proof of this, but where's the revelation that that was the name that was given before he was even conceived? And to whom was it given? Then it was time for their purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered 
the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, which really signified the fact that he wasn't that wealthy. But he was devout. He was reverent toward God. He saw to it that he obeyed the laws of God. But you see, his righteousness went a whole lot deeper than even the moral law of God. He was concerned about people. Remember, how many of you know that when we witness to somebody, it should be in such a way so as to be concerned about their well-being and bringing them to Christ and not beating them up with the gospel and the letter of the law and push them away because a brother that's offended is to be, it's hard to be won than a strong city, right? And so what do we do? You heard me give this testimony before. When I first got saved, I went to some family members and said, you're going to hell. Don't take that advice. Don't take that counsel. I was wrong for doing that. Now, they don't get saved. They are going to go to hell, but that's not the way. It's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. I should have said God loves you. God cares about you. He wants you to be with him in eternity and eternal glory. I want you to know that. But also, I just found out that Jesus said you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. So to offend someone with the letter of the law is not necessarily the, the right thing to do. How many times did Jesus rebuke those leaders here on the earth when he said, you hypocrites, here you are telling people what to do and you don't do it yourself. Remember he said that to them on numerous occasions? On the outside you look like white as sepulchers, but on the inside you're full of dead men's bones, he said to them. Imagine the things that he presented and brought out and brought to light. So it's important that we recognize that Joseph had this quality that he was concerned about. Yes, obeying the laws of God, but also with a deeper righteousness that says, I also don't want to destroy people's lives. And so he goes on to say, he's a devout, devout man. He's devoted to the things of God. He cares about the things of God. He cares about people. And so this is the one that he had selected. Now, look at the next verses there in verse 39 through 41. When Jesus' parents had fulfilled all the requirements of the law of the Lord, they returned home to Nazareth in Galilee. There the child grew up healthy and strong. He was filled with wisdom and God's favor was on him. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. Now, we don't have a lot of information about Joseph, but here's what we see. Here is a godly man who was righteous, humble, and devout. Here is a man that basically modeled what God the Father wanted modeled for his son. And he demonstrated an attitude that says he's going to help him grow. As the Bible says, he grew spiritually, emotionally, physically, socially in his home. He was brought up in such a way so as we believe that he went in those years, those quiet years of his life to rabbinical school where he was taught the things that he was taught. Now, even though maybe he was poor, I don't know, maybe they didn't charge him like they charge today for a college education? <laughs> How much is that? But he did go. And so Joseph was a person that loved God. He was righteous before God. He was humble before God. He was holy before God. He esteemed the things of God highly, and he instilled those truths into the life of his child to see to it that that child would grow up in the things of God. Look at the book of Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, and we see this happening from an early age. Look at verse 16. Once again, when we read this verse of Scripture, we kind of allude to one thing and not the other. Look at what it says. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual. 
notice, to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. What's he talking about? His parents always took him into the synagogue. Took him to church, in other words. And got him involved in understanding his need to know the scriptures and be taught the scriptures. And so this was his custom. This was nothing new for him to do. So once again, we see Joseph as being a model individual, a model father that was concerned about their entire well-being. As an individual, he put God first in his life. As a husband, he did the same thing. He saw to it that he modeled righteousness, humility, and piety. And then, as a father, he did the same thing. He taught his children to know God, to walk with God, understand the laws and commandments of God, and live their lives in such a way so as to honor God. So he did all that. And, of course, we don't really know a whole lot about his life. No one even knows how old he was when he died. They don't know how old he was when he married Mary. They have no idea how old he was when he died. It's like a mystery out there. But, think about this. When it came time that God needed someone to father, be a father or model to his child, he wasn't someone that was wealthy, rich, famous. He wasn't somebody that had influence in the community or anything like that. But he was kind. He was loving. He was devoted. He was faithful. Those were his characteristics. But even beyond that, when God needed somebody to build an ark for the saving of humanity, who did he choose? It's not a hard question. Who did he choose? When he needed someone, some man, to create a nation, to bring the Messiah into the world to save humanity, who did he choose? Abraham. When he needed to bring his people out of Egyptian bondage and slavery, who did he choose? When he needed someone to represent him as a prophet or as a king, of course, that king ministry wasn't really his choice, but anyhow, when that need came, who did he choose? Men like David, Samuel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Daniel. I mean, the list goes on and on. These were men that were selected by God and anointed by God to stand in an office where he called them to, to do what? To do what needed to be done in their day, in their generation. But then I thought, when he needed someone to father and model what it's like to be reared up in the things of God, who did he choose? Joseph. Wow. That should speak volumes to us. Some of the qualities that he saw in Joseph, although we don't have them all outlined, he knew about. He didn't call Noah to be the father to Jesus when he was on the earth. Or Isaiah, or Jeremiah, or Daniel, or Ezekiel, or any of the prophets. He called Joseph. And Joseph represents someone that, as we spend this moment with him, who had displayed the characteristics of someone that the father said, to his son, son, I'm going to send you to the earth. I'm going to provide a body for you. Now, he may have said, now, your mother's name, she's going to be Mary. And your father's name, he's going to be Joseph. You're going to be born as an infant. You're not going to know a whole lot. I trust these two people to provide an environment for you to be reared up in such a way that I desire. Reverence them. Honor them and serve me well. So here we have this Joseph. You know, the, the world needs more Josephs. 
the world needs more men like Joseph that says, I want to do what is right. I want to live my life in such a way so as to serve God righteously, humble. I humble myself before God to lay down my life to do what God wants me to do no matter how it affects me. If he says to marry her, even though I know what it's going to do to me in the community, I'm going to marry her. Even though I know I'm going to be running into Egypt, I'm going to marry her. Even though I have to fight off all this that's coming against me, I'm going to marry her and do exactly what God says to do. I'm going to do my best to provide this environment for his son here upon this earth, no matter what that costs me. He was humble before God. And you know what? I do believe that it's so important that we all recognize the fact that when God calls us to do something, we all have a decision to make. I remember when he called me and said, just go off to school in, in, in Oklahoma. It was the last thing in my life that I would want to do. But I'll tell you what, my desire to serve God <clears throat> went far beyond what I wanted for myself. Hey, I was in a great place. I had a great job, made pretty good money, had a wonderful family life. My parents are wonderful people. Did not want to leave Youngstown. Didn't want to go where he wanted me to go. Matter of fact, I was almost hoping that I would not be accepted at Ramah because I didn't want to leave all of what I had. I was pretty comfortable, a comfort zone you could say that I was in as far as my living was concerned. To pack up, put everything away, move to Tulsa, go off to Bible school was the last thing in the world that I would have wanted to do. But you know, when you want God in your life, you're willing to sacrifice your own comfort zone and say, I'm laying down my life for what you would have me to do. Did I know what God would want me to do? Absolutely not. Did I have any idea the challenge that would, that, that would be along the way? Absolutely not. But I was so on fire for God that I said, no matter what it is I've got to go through, I'm doing it for you. When you're first in the Lord, you're young in the Lord, I'm telling that's the attitude that we all should have. I lay down my life for you, to serve you, to honor you, to do what you want me to do with my life, Lord. Then who, who knew? You go off to school, you think, where am I going to go from here? Will I ever see my parents ever again? And once again, we're an Italian family, a close-knit Italian family. We eat pizza all the time together. <laughs> Come on. I don't know what a sacrifice it is to make that you leave that place of comfort and you go a thousand miles away to be in a place that you don't even like. I really wouldn't want to live in Tulsa, nothing against Tulsa, but that summer we had 31 days of 100 and above. And I thought, oh my goodness, they lived in air conditioning. That's, that's how you existed. But anyhow, so there I am there. But like Anyone else, if you're going to serve God, whether your name is Abraham, you leave your hometown to find, to find a city and builder whose maker is God. Little did I know that he would send me back to Youngstown and then call me to come to Midland. Had no idea. Now, would God be able to do that if I didn't go off to Tulsa? Absolutely not. So we take one step at a time with God and lay down your life to do what God would have you to do. And many, I believe, are called and few are chosen. And why is that? Because I believe many that are called are not willing to go all the way. It meant start life over again. It meant everything is gone. 
whether it's finances, insurances, job and all that, I went from making, you know, in, in, in the middle of that time, mills were really humming. They were working. I was making good money, as I said, as a crane operator in the mill. But as far as I was concerned, I'm done with it. My boss came to me and said, look, we want you to stay here. We want you to go off to school, come back. And when you come back here, we want you to run a crane for us. I said, no, I'll never be walking in here ever again. I know inside my heart I never will be. He tried his best, and I just said, I won't. You'll be challenged along the way, no doubt about it, not to follow the plan of God, not to do the will of God in all areas of life. We all be, will be challenged that way. Just to forfeit, just to give it up and walk away from it and just say, because there's just too much involved. I go down there. He says, go back to Youngstown. I thought he was schizophrenic. <laughs> really? I moved everything down here. I've got all this stuff in storage. I've only been here for one year. And now I've got to go back to Youngstown. What am I going to do back in Youngstown? I, I don't have the job anymore. Instead of making that kind of money that I was making in the mill with all the benefits and all that sort of thing. Guess what I did? I painted the inside of a church. That's what I did. To try to support a family on that. And that was like a Catholic rectory where, you know, friary, friary I guess, is what it was and, and, and all that. That's it. Okay, so here it is. Here's my fate. I did all that. And I'm coming back here and I'm just going to paint a church. I was asked to help the youth over there at the Southside Christian Assembly Church. I said I would be honored to do so. You see, God has a plan, but the plan doesn't unfold unless we take one step at a time and do exactly what he tells us to do. If I don't take step one, he's not going to give me step two. I'll be honest with you. It was the most difficult thing to do. That year in Tulsa, Oklahoma, I would never, never want to live like that ever again. But I wouldn't give it up for the world. Because I learned so much about myself. I learned so much about God and his faithfulness to his promise and his faithfulness to his word. That I could pass on, you know, from my personal experiences in the things of God. I had no idea I would ever be a preacher speaking to people and that sort of thing. But once again, one step at a time. And then when I laughed at the pastor who said, would you candidate to be the pastor of that church down there? And I said, absolutely not. God would have to speak to me in an audible voice for me to do that. He knew I was stubborn and he knew I meant it. He probably heard me say over and over again, I will never speak in front of people. And he knew that. And so as I'm driving down Route 11 to get down here to Midland, I, just to show you, I don't know where Midland's at. I should have never gone down Route 11 to get to Midland because that's too much, that's like 20 minutes longer to go that way. I could have come more direct and been here like 20, 25 minutes sooner. I just didn't know where Midland was. And on the road, he said, and I'll never forget it. I don't know what it is between Calcutta and East Liverpool. I've had these experiences with God. He spoke in an audible voice and said, you will be the next pastor of that church. And so in that same section, I saw my angel during a snowstorm. Okay, S little things along the way of your life. But when you're an individual, when you're a husband and you're a father, look at the life of Joseph. Look at the sacrifice that he made. Look what he had to stand up against in the community. And let's get back to this before I close with that one final thing here. Can you imagine in our society, can you imagine one year, we say engaged, espoused, engaged, betrothed is different. But can you imagine 
to be like they were? Where you would bring your bride back to your father's house. Listen. And now you've got a group of people that are there. And you have those that are designated to make sure that the bed sheets prove she was a virgin. And they are kept for future references. Do you remember when Jesus said, when he was asked about divorce, and he said from the beginning it was not so, but for the hardness of a man's heart, God had to come up with a bill of divorcement. God did. Some people don't know that. The bill of divorcement doesn't come from man, it comes from God. And God said, if this woman is divorced by her husband, and women could not divorce their husbands, husbands divorce their wives for some stupid reason, and sends them off into the city. This is the hardness of their hearts. Sends them off into the city, and let's just say she goes to the local Jerusalem, uh, let's say Starbucks, and she's having coffee with someone, and her ex-husband, which they don't know that's an ex-husband, all they know is that they were married, and there's no bill of divorcement in her hand. And they're having coffee together. And he says, my wife is committing adultery. They would have him stoned to death. So God, Jesus said, for the hardness of a man's heart, God came up with a bill of divorcement. That's why. And the impurity of her not being a virgin, that's not even thought about today, is it? As a matter of fact, to find one today is not an easy thing to do. I'm giving facts. It's just a fact of, of life. Isn't that true? Right, so we don't live in that kind of a society, but that's what they had to do. I can't even imagine that the parents had to have the bed sheets to prove that she was a virgin so that this guy cannot say she wasn't because what would happen to her? She could never marry ever again. Not in our society, it doesn't matter how many times, but in their society, he knew he could, she couldn't marry again. No one. And he knew that it would be a stigma if he married her as well. So put yourself in this position. What you find out is here's a man of integrity. Here's a man of righteousness. Here's a man of humility. Here's a man of piety. He's a pious man. He wants to serve God. He wants to honor God and do it God's way, even though it meant for him. Maybe that's why they think he died young. Running from everybody. They say they, he didn't die. He wasn't at the crucifixion. We know that. So within those years, nothing more is said of him. But he was God's man. My last point was he was God's man. And we need more men like him in society today that model what true Christianity is to their children so they can see people who serve God and they can see God in people. Let's all stand together before the Lord.